0: Hi, I'm Ray Otis, and this is my podcast, Plundergrounds. Plundergrounds is also the name of a zine that I create devoted to dungeon world, adventure, and content. You can find it at www.plundergrounds.com. Today, we're going to be talking about bio-dungeons. But first, I want to get to the call-ins related to last week's episode on familiars.
1: Hey, Ray. Jason Hobbs from Random Screed here. First off, welcome to the uh, OSR Anchorites. I know that you're in the Discord, and I sent you an invite to the G Plus community. Uh, It's good to have you here, another zener, which uh, I appreciate, and uh, I've met you before, though we never got a really good chance to talk in person, which I'd like to try that sometime. Uh, I didn't listen to the pilot, but I have listened to your episode one. And anytime you mention Mike Evans, you're going to get a bonus in my book because that little guy is great. Um, as far as familiars go, uh, I'm mostly a cat person now. I grew up as a dog person. I think some of the best media that have, you know, familiars or riding stuff. Uh, are what like Avatar and Dragon Riders of Pern. Um, anyway, it was a good episode, and uh, hope to hear more, buddy, later.
0: Thanks for calling in, Jason. For those of you who don't know, Jason Hobbs is a podcaster who does three different casts. Actually, he's got the Hobbs and Friends of the OSR, which is a podcast on old school tabletop role playing games. He has a guest on each episode and they address some cool topic and I find it just to be really informative and fun. He has a spin-off podcast from that called Hex Talk which is similar but devoted to hex crawl content and then he does Random Screed here on Anchor. And um, how do I describe Random Screed? Let's see. Basically, Jason drives around the post-apocalyptic wasteland of northern Illinois in his van, raving madly into a recorder about cool gaming ideas, stuff he's playing, in life in general. Parts of that description may be more accurate than other parts, I guess. <laughs> uh, Jason's a cool guy. He's got a lot going on, and he's responsible for kind of building a little network of podcasters here on Anchor. Um, so guys like um, Colin Green of Spike Pit, and uh, Cockatrice Nuggets, and some others uh, who are here on Anchor, you can thank because of Jason's encouragement. It's pretty cool that he's built this little network of podcasters. Next up, we have Larry. Hey, Ray, this is Larry with Follow Me and I. I appreciate your first
1: episode and your current one on the familiars. Uh, I've rarely had familiars. My character, Griswold, I've talked about on my podcast, had a rabbit familiar, one of the random critters that comes up on that table. And I named him Harvey of all things, and I made him invisible to extend his life expectancy because of the heavy penalty in first edition of losing double the XP if it's ever killed. And I've managed to keep him alive, but the first edition rules make a familiar very risky to take on an adventure, especially if you go up against A very powerful thing, or trigger a trap, or have an enemy caster throw a fireball. So, uh, good episode. Give them up.
0: Thanks for the call in, Larry. That's a pretty neat idea that we've lost, I think, in uh, thinking about familiars in a more modern context. And that's the idea that familiars are or can be a weak spot for wizards. It's hard for me to think of examples in the literature, although I know that's a trope. If you go look up the history of familiars being a witch or a wizard or a warlock being too far away from their familiar um, or disconnected from their familiar seemed like it caused stress and strain and maybe damage hurting a familiar seems to have some kind of blowback on the wizard or witch or warlock. Also, I was thinking more modernly of uh, Philip Pullman's Northern Lights book. I think it was released as The Golden Compass here in the U.S. In that book, kids are born with an animal, spirit animal. It's literally their soul kind of personified. It's very much like a familiar, and being separated from it or it being hurt uh, causes serious damage. As they get older, it kind of ossifies a little bit into more of a standard shape, but when they're kids, it kind of... Morphs around a lot. This soul animal that they have—I figure what they think—they might have a name for them, but they may even call them familiars. But anyway, that's the only thing I can think of in modern fantasy. But that's a cool idea, cool idea. Uh, And then finally, we have a friend of mine uh, from St. Louis named Logan Howard. Logan does the Swordbreaker zine. Swordbreaker has all kinds of really cool ideas in it. And it's, it's been fun to see the progress of that one. The early episodes are all kind of sweaty and like kind of thrown together in a basement. Just a bunch of mad ideas. Um, more recent issues are still full of great ideas, but he's added a lot of polish. Uh, he brought on another guy, Jesse. Oh, I'm going to forget his last name. Uh, sorry about that. I put it in the show notes, uh, and Jesse has a lot of layout sensibility and adds some art to it too. So the the later ones look a little more polished. I wouldn't know exactly where to tell you to start on them because they're all pretty self-contained. Uh, you could start anywhere. Some of my favorite issues of Swordbreaker. Oh, and by the way, you can get them as pay what you want on uh, RPGNow.com or rpg.com. Some of my favorite issues have been number, well, the latest one, number six, Sand and Living Fire, has kind of a Arabian Nights feel to it, which is very cool. Number four is called The Tempest Riders, which is about airships and pirates and, and uh, nautical adventures in the sky. And then uh, at issue five is The Folded Lands, which was inspired by Thundar the Barbarian and a bunch of other media properties that he names. But frankly, once you've said Thundar the Barbarian, that's all I need to hear. But it's cool zine, so check it out. And here's Logan talking about
2: familiars. Hey, Ray. It's Logan. I'm super enjoying your podcast. This is great. I was thinking about the familiars, and I thought how... Animals really aren't animals until they're annoying. Basically, rangers walk into inns and order drinks, and no one asks, Hey, where's Jango the bear right now? You know, they get used in this way where they're just sort of fire and forget. They disappear when they're not useful. They're there to do the handy thing when they are part of loving other people and creatures is being willing to give up the convenience of self-direction in order to make room for their needs and habits. I think a really great way to introduce a familiar is to immediately start by establishing some annoying habits and traits. Have a good one. Keep up the great work. Bye.
0: That's excellent advice, Logan. I really like that. I think there are people who want pets as accessories, um, I think I call them purse puppies. And the reality of having an animal in your life uh, for which you're responsible is that you need to respect what's best for them, too. It's a give-and-take relationship. So, yeah, having an animal act up or act out in an inconvenient way in the fiction, that's a great method, I think, for giving it more personality and making it feel real. So that's it for our call-ins. Let's get to our topic of the day, bio-dungeons. I have an upcoming issue of Plundergrounds called In One Bite. I'm actually working on two issues at once right now uh, one called Rusty Swords, which I think I might talk about next week, and one called In One Bite. Uh, in One Bite is going to take place inside of a colossal beast, like one the size of a cruise ship or maybe a skyscraper. It, that's why I want to talk about Bio Dungeons today. But the idea for me started back in 2015 uh, when I was reading Louis uh, Borges' uh, book of imaginary beings which is kind of a, I don't know, philosophical bestiary, uh, but it's got entries for each creature, and then he talks about a little bit about origins maybe and and kind of what the concept of the creature, uh, how it plays out. But one of the first entries is for Archeron, which is literally hell in the form of a monster as dreamed up by an Irish nobleman named Tundale. And Tundale relates that Archeron's maw could swallow 9,000 men at a gulp and holding its mouth open were two human pillars, one of them upside down. The monster had three gullets, all spewing indistinguishable fire, and the lamentations of countless devoured sinners. And Tundale, uh, being dragged inside by a guiding angel, experienced tears, fog, and mist, the crushing sound of teeth, and glacial cold, as well as an unbearable burning sensation. So, it's kind of a neat image of this kind of whole world inside of a monster, um, the description in places reminds me a lot of Dante's Inferno, as if the Inferno were literally, you know, like the inside of the devil or something. So fast forward to 2018, I was on my way to GaryCon 10, and I wanted to have an idea in my hip pocket for introducing some new people to Dungeon World. Uh, and about the same time on Google+, Plus, Carl Sternberg, who's a, a great artist, like has a really cool style, um, very bold. He had been posting up some cutaway drawings of monster innards. So you'd see like this outline of a cool giant monster and then uh, kind of a, uh, the insides would be a map, uh, you know, leading from one kind of blobby room to another. So, I printed one of those out, uh shoved it in my hip pocket, and then started making notes on the plane. I don't know why I didn't just you know grab one of my own plunder grounds, but I think I've played all of those enough now that i um I wanted to do something different and uh so you know, and I always like to make things harder on myself for some reason. So I started making notes about um a bio dungeon, but what is a bio dungeon? so let's get to that. Uh, simply put, a dungeon that is itself a living organism. The floors and walls are living tissue. The features are organs. Creatures are part of some weird internal or parasitic ecosystem. That's what I think of when I when I think of a bio dungeon. And so that's going to give you a lot of neat hazards to encounter and some interesting spaces to describe. And if one of the pillars of old-school role-playing games really, are, really is exploration, then um, this gives you... A not so trite space to explore for your characters to explore, um, something different than the typical, you know, dressed stone and ten by ten rooms and stairs up and stairs down and pits and and all the other kind of things that are uh, inherent to the, the kind of um, tropes of dungeon crawling these days. When I started thinking about bio dungeons, I went to Evelyn Moreau for advice. Evelyn is uh, an artist on Google+, Plus, um, or at least that's where I, I see her most, is on Google+. Plus. She lives in Montreal. I met her once in person, once or twice in person years ago uh, when I was up there gaming. Just a really cool person uh, with a very unique uh, art style, very evocative and kind of um, not traditional in its thinking. Evelyn uh, did a series a while back where characters were uh, raiding kaiju carcasses using the Stay Frosty rules. Uh, which which I love, by the way, so uh, Stay Frosty is a, a hack of the black hack that's made for kind of space-hulky type things. So I, I thought, you know, she's probably already thought about this quite a bit, and I asked her for some advice, and the following is a bullet point list that she uh, relayed back to me through Google+. Plus. So the I'm going to read all of them, and they're basically, I'm just quoting her at this point. I'm going to make sure that I give her credit for these ideas because they're very good, I think. I would say that the dungeon must feel like a system that you can try to figure out, but that you may not fully understand. Like, if you see blue spores, you may learn that they detect movement and trigger traps or lock doors, and that this causes the biochamber to produce yellow juice to feed the warrior drones. As an organism, the dungeon must be able to react to stimuli in different ways. Some stimuli must be avoided, others may be exploited. Also, the dungeon is not pure. There is infections, parasites, mutations, etc., things that may unbalance it. The bio dungeon may also offer opportunities for symbiosis, mutation, and biotransformation. The way I generated the dungeon is that I wrote a series of bio functions and conditions. I assigned to each room a function and a condition. The function or condition of a room may change by the result of some action. So all that's pretty great advice, and I think it's a systematic way of thinking about building an environment that's fun to explore. Bio dungeons are are just a neat idea in general. How you get characters there may be a little weird. In one bite, uh, as the name implies, uh, characters get swallowed uh, by a giant, you know, colossal creature. Obviously, that's one way to do it, um, but you could just have it gradually transform. They could open a door in a dungeon, and all of a sudden, the you know texture of the hallways and stuff changes, and it could be some giant under underworld parasitic creature that's latched onto a part of the dungeon. I would feel free to use some kind of extra dimensional concepts, like it might be a uh, you know a demon or um, a planar creature that somehow has created its own little pocket dimension, you know, attached to the dungeon. Uh, but there are, there are ways to get there are ways to get characters in there. In fact, if if uh, if I'm going to give a homework assignment this week, I'd love to hear your plot hooks for how you would introduce a bio dungeon into your campaigns. I think some of the some of the cool ideas that gets brought up is that uh, skills become slightly shifted in bio dungeons. You know, trap finding has a whole new feel to it because the traps are going to have a whole new feel to them. Uh, spells might cause reactions in the environment. Uh, so anytime you're, you're casting a fireball and you scorch a wall, you, know, you may get a reaction from the creature that causes tremors and shakes throughout the, the area or locks doors around you or something like that. So you have to be careful about how you, uh, what kind of magic you use and, and physical force that you use you know, to get things done they're going to be areas that are essentially out to get you as an invader in the system uh swallowing hallways and creatures that are are like basically um you know gut worms and and just cool uh, icky things like that uh and then the the idea of transformation is a really cool one too which is that you you know somehow this dungeon may be trying to transform you into a piece of itself uh there's a Gosh, I know I put it in my bag here. Hang on, you're going to hear a lot of Velcro and stuff. I apologize. I'm recording in my car, so I'm going to reach over here. Um, there's a zine that I got a while back called... I, I knew I would not get the name right, so I brought it with me. Expectorating in crustor. Expectorate means to spit. So expectorating in crustor. And it's by Andrew Walter. It was from 2016, and you can find... It's a- Andrew Walter dot co dot uk this is a cool little comic that he made a lot of them are just kind of you know bio dungeon-y sort of drawings but inside of it is some explorers in scientists in like spacesuits and uh they go through some uh you know some weird encounters and some body horror and stuff as as they uh, as they travel through this weird landscape, but one of the things I like about it, the, there are whole pages, uh, you know, page after page of just weird landscapes, and then you'll get like a couple pages of story. Um, at any rate, it's just it's a it's a neat little zine and a great way for uh, getting your uh, creative juices flowing about bio dungeons. Some other influences uh, for this uh, in one bite episode are the kaiju cross section art by Shoji Ot- Otomo. Um, if you've ever wondered what you know Godzilla or Rodin's innards look like, uh, they're really neat drawings. They almost always have a red background, so if you uh, are Googling away, you'll you'll recognize his work right away. That's uh, Shoji S-H-O-G-I, Otomo, O-H-T-O-M-O, um, and uh, they're worth having a look at. Very cool, gives you lots of neat ideas. I also like the 1966 movie Fantastic Voyage um miniaturization tech lets doctors essentially uh, get shrunk down inside of a little submarine and then work from inside a patient to to um, I think they're going after a brain tumor but uh, of course they run into the body's natural defenses so you have all these uh, you know like the uh, streams of blood cells you know that are the size of um, giant uh, uh I don't know, beanbags and and uh, you know, um phages and macrophages and stuff like that that are all attacking them, uh, antivirus uh things and so it's really it's really cool. Uh and also I think for me, um there's a short story that I really like called The Voice in the Night, uh and it's written by William Hope Hodgson. You can get that out on the internet for free, I think at Project Gutenberg. Um, and later on, there was a movie that was very loosely inspired by it called Matango, um, 1963 Shiro Honda movie. And that one basically has uh, some playboy castaways on an island who are unwittingly altered by a local species of mutagenic mushroom. So all of those kind of went into play uh, in, in, when I was thinking about building in one bite, both as a one shot and as a zine. I've run it a few times already, uh, and uh, the first time I ran it, it, turned out to be really cool. I wrote it up as an actual play, and that will be uh, a zine, kind of a sidecar zine, that accompanies the main issue where you can read a, a four-hour playthrough um, of one way of running it. I guess, honestly, that's about all I have to say at this point. I don't know when In uh, One Byte's going to come out, but I think sooner rather than later, so maybe in the next month or so. I was trying to get it done before the end of this month. I don't think that's probably going to happen, but you never know. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on bio-dungeons. And until next time, I'm Ray Otis, signing off. This has been the Plundergrounds Podcast. You can find my Patreon at www.plundergrounds.com, and that's for my uh, Plundergrounds zine and Dungeon World content. You can also find some of my things at www.jellysaw.com. Uh, Jellysaw is kind of a just a brand that I use for you know putting out some free games uh so i have goblin town there and sorcerers and Cell swords and uh, some micro games like space trucker if you want to have a look at those you can go see that i also have a couple blog entries on things like hacking lasers and feelings so jellysaw.com and the uh, opening and closing music is by captive portal and the song is called you can use me until next time look out for rust monsters